So what do you see as the main challenges when trying to bring about a team-based approach? I would think it's competing egos. Um, that's one thing I've noticed. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the instructional designer and um, instructor dynamic, relationship dynamic. I think that the instructors, until recently, they've grown up and expect that it's a one-man show. Like, I make the lesson plan. I create well, the material. Well, that's what pop culture has told us for all these years. Is that you pop know, culture? You watch every movie, the, the faculty members, the kingdom of the classroom. That's they're, they're, they're in charge of that classroom. That's pop culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. As the world becomes increasingly connected, there has been a growing trend toward building collaborative teams across organizations. Higher education in particular is no exception from this need as we strive to build successful leaders who will take their experiences and utilize their skills across all professions. As more active learning that involves team-centered instructional methods is taking place in classrooms and student collaboration centers are popping up across campuses, Shouldn't course development bring together teams of faculty and other experts? Although faculty are ultimately the content experts, there are many others who fulfill positions on campuses that have underutilized experience. This may be due to lack of knowledge about the resources available, faculty preference for course building, and or time constraints. Using a team-based course design model can enhance the development and oftentimes disperse time-consuming tasks just by drawing on knowledge of others. For example, faculty can work with librarians who can assist with identifying and building resource packages, instructional designers who can assist with pedagogical and andragogical support, media specialists who can assist with development of materials that will reach more learners, and the list of support can go on. A paradigm shift has occurred within education towards student-centered learning and research is more and more reflecting the need for a collaborative team-based approach to course design. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Celia Kichwaitiwa from Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovations Academic Innovation Team. Joining me today are Aaron Kraft, Jeanette Senecal, Stephen Crawford. Thank you. So to start things off, what are your experiences with team-based course design as an instructor or as an ID? Well, I spent the past two years working at ASU helping uh, instructors, as an instructional designer, helping instructors to put their courses online. And this would often involve working with media specialists to shoot lecture videos and then me to edit those videos, even though sometimes that's the media specialist's job, but then to implement and integrate all the educational materials into the course, make sure that everything uh, was accessible to the students, and basically being in communication with the instructor to make sure that we could have the course ready to go on time, and generally just trying to coordinate between the media specialist and the instructor. In a previous role, As an instructional designer, I worked to develop online degree programs, and from that point of view, often took on the role of a project manager. Um, I think one thing that instructional designers probably do not have enough background in is the art of project management. And there's a lot that happens to make sure a course is delivered on time, especially with online courses that are supposed to be built completely prior to the beginning of a course uh, starting. 
But now as we're getting more involved in doing the same approaches for face-to-face and hybrid courses because of the role of technology, and that's that's what's really brought, I think, instructional designers into this team approach because, you know, when you look back, even as recent, well, there's still faculty today who do their course design completely on their own, but in most cases, they're face-to-face instructors. Um, when they're online, often they're partnered with someone and, and that role is different depending on, on the expertise and the availability. So a lot of times we're asked to call in the media specialist as needed or bring in um, somebody from the library as needed or bring in somebody from disability resources as needed or so on. It just depends on, on what we're discussing and what needs to be done. So I've had a lot of experience from that point of view of varying levels of integration. Yeah, I'd say my experience matches that as well. <clears throat> it seems fairly common that um, for uh, strategic or anecdotal reasons, the instructional designer tends to end up as a central coordination point. They're a convener, they're a connector, they usually know where the other um, resources and entities may be located, and they are um, fundamentally important to keeping everybody together. And sometimes after the course has been started, we're the ones who connect to the student services to help the faculty member direct students who need extra resources to whatever tutorial services are available. That's true. I think there were a couple times that I had to go to the library on behalf of the school or the instructors for the school and connect with our resource person there, somebody who was actually assigned to help people at the school to find resources for their particular uh, subject matter. And a lot of the instructors there didn't even know we had such a person. And so a couple times I had to go and introduce, find this person and introduce them to the rest of the faculty. So Stephen, you talked about how your experience lies mostly in working with the online courses, but where do you see it fitting in with face-to-face? And why do you think we aren't using as much of a team-based approach when building face-to-face courses? I think part of it has to do with that wonderful phrase, economy of scale. And when you do see it occur in face-to-face, a lot of times it is related to that. Um, We're seeing, especially in the sciences, uh, this has happened here at this institution as well as many others with the National Center for Academic Transformation, I believe it is, NCAT. Um, They're focused on how do we build courses that are consistent from not just semester to semester, but section to section. So when you think of those very large courses, you have potentially an institution like ours, a thousand, two thousand students taking introduction to chemistry. They, depending on who they draw as their instructor, could have a huge impact on what they learn. That's not transferable to other schools if they transfer out of here to somewhere else or vice versa. If someone's trying to transfer in, it's like, well, it depends on who you had as an instructor. Um, And that's why institutions a lot of times have consistent learning objectives. So when you think about that scale aspect, I think that is the first opportunity for instructional designers to get involved with with face-to-face courses because we're trying to do a return on investment of let's have a consistent experience and let's have multiple faculty working together. Let's integrate multiple technologies so there's a consistent experience. And I think you're seeing that now permeate into other disciplines uh, throughout the institution. 
I think that also touches back on an earlier conversation we had about technology as a driver for connecting with instructional designers, instructional technologists, and um, the need for that kind of support almost lends itself to a more com com complete course design process. And um, the designers then are in a role to start from, or to get there from start to finish. Whereas um, in your online courses, they are instrumental for every part of that. What types of positive impacts do you see happening when you have um, the team course design? You know, I, I think it's important to note that it doesn't have to be a faculty member and then a team, a support team behind them. I think it could be multiple faculty members. And I think about some of the things going on in this own in this college here with our curriculum redesign of our pre-licensure and post-bac uh, nursing programs. When you have multiple faculty who are experts in different areas of nursing, but yet a but yet they teach a course that has all those different pieces. If you can bring multiple faculty together. And again, use a technology to help, you know, let's say you're using the flipped classroom model. Now multiple faculty can lecture in the same course. And yes, you're still going to have a single faculty member of record who's responsible for grading and, and, and teaching the course. But you can bring in multiple perspectives and get multiple faculty members involved in a single course. That creates, again, that consistency. They're getting the best, po the students are getting the best possible information available to them from the best faculty available to them from the college, regardless of who's teaching it, and then who's teaching it has those resources to pull from. And then if we as instructional designers can work with them and bring in the other resources we've already identified to help make that a, a complete process, I think it's it, it makes it a sustainable course. And so now when someone's assigned to teach that course at the beginning of the semester, they're not going, oh my goodness, I have to go redesign and rebuild this entire course. No, it's we've got something for you. We have a vehicle for you to drive. It, we just need you to go in there and, and make it you and, and teach it as well. I think those benefits boil down to two things for me. The, the value of varied and different perspectives and the ability to share the workload. Yeah, definitely. I think collaboration can bring about a richer learning experience for the students as well. For example, I can shoot a lecture video but I really only know a little bit about video production. However, I can send you to a person who's got the green screen and they have all the tools and they have a professional camera and they know how to package and compress the video. That's the person you want shooting the video. Um, you know, then the instructor being the subject matter expert, they come up with the sort of core learning experiences and objectives that the students uh, would need to focus on. And as a designer, I can look at that and say, well, let's make sure that your objectives match your assessments, because maybe that's not where the instructor's head was at when they were writing everything down at the moment, or maybe the, uh, they just need that second pair of eyes to make sure that everything aligns. I almost look at uh, being an instructional designer as being like a, like a chiropractor. You're sort of adjusting everything and putting it into place, um, even though the main components you know, are pretty much there. So I think ultimately you're just creating uh, a more robust and richer learning experience for the, for the learner. I love that metaphor of a chiropractor. And, <laughs> you know, my, I also want to add to it, let the team members do what they do best. And, and, and when we think about how oft, often faculty are hired for their content knowledge, and I'm using that phrase on purpose because those, you know, those who know, know TPAC or heard it. Yeah, I mean, you know, often your instructional designers, they're the experts 
at technology knowledge. They know how to apply technology in a way to improve an educational experience. And they may also be the ones with the pedagogical knowledge to hit the rest of the letters of TPAC. Um, and I think that's a really important thing because not all faculty are experts and teachers. Most faculty teach as they were taught. And as we know, standards of practice have changed, best practices have improved, definitely technologies have changed. And, and again, that team approach where faculty can teach faculty, instructional designers can be part of the process, where media specialists, librarians, disability resource specialists, just go down the list of all these resources that an institution has. If we can apply them to course development, and you, and you think about face-to-face -face courses, the traditional model of sitting in front of a room and, and, and talking for 50 minutes three times a week really is going to the wayside. Um, people still do it. There's still opportunities where that makes sense in some cases. But when I think about what's happening in the modern classroom with active learning, you really need to have a strong framework established before the course is taught and, and understand where this is going to go. Moving beyond our traditions. So what do you see as the main challenges when trying to bring about a team-based approach? I would think it's competing egos. Um, that's one thing I've noticed. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the instructional designer and um, instructor dynamic, relationship dynamic. I think that the instructors, until recently, they've grown up and expect that it's a one-man show. Like, I make the lesson plan. I create well, the material. Well, that's what pop culture has told us for all these years. Is that you pop know, culture? You, you watch every movie, the, the faculty members, the kingdom of the classroom. That's their, they're, they're in charge of that classroom. That's pop culture. Mm -hmm, absolutely. But, well, no, yeah, it's, it's what we've come to expect. It's what we've come to know. It's, it's at least hundreds of years of practice. And now it's reaching a point where, you know, they, it's an overused term, but there's sort of a paradigm shift happening now where you're needing this more uh, team-centered approach to not only course design, but also learning, right? Um, I think the instructors are all of a sudden thinking, why do I have to work with this person? I, I didn't have to work with anybody before, or nobody ever told me this was a necessity. And then the instructional designer's thinking, well, I sat there and got formal education in the sciences, philosophies, and theories of learning, why isn't this instructor listening to me? And oftentimes your instructional designer used to be an instructor. Uh, so I find that there can be that sort of uh, competing ego dynamic that happens there, which can be a, a bit of an issue. So I would look at that as probably one of the main challenges that I've noticed. So I've been quite um, steeped in the science of effective teamwork from the perspective of team-based healthcare, and the stakes are pretty high. There's a high threshold. If you are not an effective team, you kill people. So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of science and a lot of thought, and some of the um, well-documented factors for successful teams are those that have shared goals articulated clear roles and responsibilities. They build mutual trust. Not that they have mutual trust, but they build it. They uh, use effective communication practices, and they rely on measurable processes and outcomes. I think that that is really right back to your point, Aaron, about building relationships, building trust, and that sometimes conflict is unnecessary to get us sure. to where we need to be. You know, and I think... You know, you mentioned earlier, Jeanette, about technology, and I think technology's had a lot to do with this. Um, and, and it's driven society and culture as a whole to where we are becoming more and more specialized. As we've learned more, 
it's it's becoming more difficult to be a generalist in, in an area where you can know enough to be self-sustaining for your entire career. And, and that's caught up to higher education now. It used to be that you completed your PhD. You now have enough knowledge in your field to be an expert. You had enough knowledge to continue researching in that field, and you had enough knowledge to teach in that field. But like all things, we it has become far more complex than that. And so, so now that, div- that diversity is occurring. It again, like you were saying with the medical side, it's you now need so many team players to do what your old country doctor used to do by themselves 30, 40 years ago. And that's now coming to higher education, I think, where it's no longer as feasible to be on your own. You really need to go from the team approach. So, Aaron, you brought up um, ego as sometimes being a challenge to... Maybe that's just my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To design. So what what kind of approach can you take to make faculty feel more comfortable with building a course that involves others um, touching it. Is it different for new faculty who are just coming in or um, versus someone who's tenured and has been teaching for a while? Um, What kind of approaches would you take? You know, I would say that at the global level, um, there needs to be a commitment by the institution's administration to project an expectation that course building will be a team approach and not a lone wolf initiative. I mean, it's no secret that an an institution's uh, managers and higher admins dictate the culture. So if the instructors who are already there or coming in understand that, oh, no, I'm I'm working with these other people, that's not even going to be questioned at this point, I think those barriers might come down. Now, of course, if it's a sudden shift, you've been doing it one way for so long, then all of a sudden you have to change, especially if you're tenured. Wow. I mean, I can I can empathize that that's a tough transition to have to make. You know, that's I, I there, there's a lot of conflicts in the institution. Um, there can be a lot of encouragement. I think there's there's I think there's a good deal of encouragement here. Um, but at the same time, we have nomenclature that works totally against us. The phrase instructor of record, that's the person who's responsible for loading the grades. That's the person who's responsible for all the complaints that come from the students or from the administration about the course. They're the ones who are held responsible. When you look at CVs and you look at what goes in tenure and promotion packages, they ask not what courses did you contribute to, but what courses did you actually teach? And so, for, you know, and so from that mindset, and then again, I'm going to go back to the popular culture idea that the classroom is your kingdom and you can do what you want. And we see that in movies, we see that in TV, and I will say age or tenure of faculty has no impact um, on whether they're more likely to work in a team or not. I've seen faculty near retirement be just as, as stingy and holding on to certain ideas Whereas others are like, nope, I'm totally open. We can do whatever. And then I've seen brand new faculty who are holding on to the I'm the lone wolf idea versus those who, nope, I'll take all the help I can get it. That's not a differentiator in my opinion. So it sounds like culture and institutional readiness are big factors. 
<clears throat> I think I would add um, on an interpersonal basis, transparency is important. Um, talking within a group about the group, about the processes and the outcomes are really important and to meet people where they're at. Sometimes it's not a zero-sum game. It's finding if there's a halfway point, if there's a way to negotiate, if there's a way to um, bring that different perspective to be heard on a level that encourages those good team outcomes. You mean communication might Imagine that. solve some problems, right? Also, uh, I would just add to that maybe having a clear division of duties or even uh, possibly forming a, a charter. I know it's it can be kind of cheesy, but uh, sometimes dictating group responsibilities and re, uh, how would you say how to respond to certain situations or um, conflicts that might come up um, in a charter before you even engage in the group activity might save a lot of I, time. And charters hassle. are awesome. Yeah, I oh. mean, if you're in the middle Thanks. of doing this for the first time, having that negotiation, that conversation of who's going to do what, who's responsible. I mean, there are certain things that non-faculty can never do when it comes to course design. There are certain things. It's just part of the faculty governance process. Um, and so we have to be respectful of that. But at the same time, if we can take and we being instructional designers and other support staff, if we can help make a faculty member's life easier, make it so that they don't feel like I have to do everything on my own and I can't use this technology unless I'm an expert at it. You know, it's like, no, we, let's work together. You, you can do this. And, and I think that can-do attitude is, is a very important for everybody to have. And again, communication, let's talk before things start burning down around us. I think there's one danger zone to be aware of too. If you have a more or less static team working with development and components of development, if you get to a certain level of proficiency and comfort, then you have one uh, faculty or two faculty that drop in and drop out of that team. They haven't been immersed in the culture. And sometimes they do or can feel like the odd person out. And it's important to be sensitive to that and not uh, let your pre-existing team functionality override their ability to come in as a new person with a fresh perspective. But I think also that charter aspect, let's talk about why why you'd want to do this in the first place. You know, what's the purpose of playing together? You know, is it just to make the faculty member's life easier or is it to add to the portfolio of the instructional design team? What? Why, why are we doing this? If you can't answer that question, then... Maybe you're not ready to work in a team yet because you're not going to be able to define the roles well. Um, if you're doing this, and for me, I always think of scale. If you're doing this so that we can build something that anybody can teach, that's one thing. Um, if you're building a course because you're the expert in that field and you are planning on teaching that course at the institution until you retire, and so you're like, hey, let's let's work as a team so I don't have to rebuild this for the next couple of years, and then two or three years down the road, we'll do a redesign. That reusability, but we've got to make sure we're using the time and resources appropriately because we can't rebuild a course every single time it's taught or build it four times in the same semester because four different people are teaching it. I say we're doing this for our students. I mean, the biggest thing That's is... That's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, think about it. From a student standpoint, we all knew, and I'll... I'll pick on English comp um, because I think we all knew when we were freshmen way back when, 
oh, so-and-so has five papers versus some, somebody else who has six, but the person who has five grades harder than the person who has six, they're easier to grade. And then this third person doesn't give you any feedback in time to be useful for anything. So avoid that person. Like, yeah, I mean, we all knew the exact same course was taught so differently that we would avoid them. It had nothing to do with how they taught. It was what they did. And, and that should be minimized. Um, we should minimize that our students should have a similar experience no matter what, no matter who they take a course from that's identical to being offered that same semester. Or if they know, oh, wait, never take it in the spring because so-and-so teaches it. Only take it in the fall because somebody else who doesn't care about the course, who's getting ready to retire. I mean, and I'm thinking about one of my own major courses uh, when I was uh, doing my bachelor's degree. We all knew avoid it in the spring because the person who was teaching it was tough and the person in the fall was getting close to retirement and was very lax. I like that you brought that up. Do you feel like... Um sites like Rate My Professor have anything to do with that, with the um, shift towards trying to draw on others' experiences and bring more faculty together to build courses? Do you think that has any effect at all? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rate My Professor, to me, it's... Uh... It's a quick glance, you know, sometimes you don't even know who's contributing the, the, you know, the reviews and maybe the student just had a bad experience because they were a bad student, but all of a sudden they're going to, you know, throw shade at the teacher and it's going to be reflected to everybody who goes onto the website. Um, I'm not sure there's a quality assurance in place there. I'm going to say sort of. And the reason why I'm going to say that is the same reason for course evaluations. Faculty really do care about their student experiences. And from an instructional design standpoint, and everything we've talked about so far is about course design. We've not talked about delivery really at all. And so from a course design standpoint, I don't think it impacts faculty wanting to, to improve it per se because they got a bad rate my professor review. I think it's more about delivery. Um, I don't think that drives them to work in a team I think it drives them to change something potentially, but again, that often things like course evals and and rate my professor tends to be more about the delivery. So and so gave me a bad grade, um, or I didn't like how they dressed, which seems to come so often to rate my professor. Um, but when you think about the actual course itself, and you look at something a little bit more substantive like course eval, I or the course evaluation process, I would say that um, yes and no. Again, it's sort of, I think it depends on what's said and, and maybe they're looking for better ways. I always, when I give advice or if I'm consulting with somebody, I'm almost always considering the student's perspective. If we add this link, can the student find it? Is it in a reasonable spot? Does it go with the flow of the rest of the course? Or if we create this activity using this educational technology tool, can the student understand how to use it? Do they have the resources available in case they have any problems? Is it basically user-friendly is one of my main focuses. And to bring it back to a team-based approach, it, it does seem to me, and Stephen made a great point, that if there are a group of instructors coming together to build these courses, they could standardize the tools they're using. They could standardize where links are put in the course. That way the student's experience from one course to another doesn't change radically 
And I think if you talk to students and myself too, I got my uh, graduate degree online and one class to the next, the interface would change sometimes quite drastically that it was, it was frustrating because you, you, you learn one, but then all of a sudden you have to learn another one. Or sometimes you're taking both courses uh, concurrently and I'm having to sort of change modes between courses. Not the end of the world, not a big deal, but I think it's sort of unnecessary and it gets in the way of the learning, should I say an efficient learning experience. So I think I would recap that by saying that team-based design offers an opportunity to promote consistency. You know, and when we think about, you know, how hard it's become complicated more, you know, is that it's no longer about, a, your, your degree program is no longer about a collection of courses. It's a true program. So you've talked a little bit about faculty working with faculty as a team, and then there's the approach of faculty working with um, a variety of specialists among staff. What would your ideal team course design approach look like? It depends. On? On. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... Are you building a fully online program? Are you and I'm and I'm using the word program on purpose. Are you building a collection where a program where it's part hybrid, part online? Is it face to face? Do you feel that there should be a difference um, in the team based approach between an online course and a face to face course? Shouldn't it all be built, uh, you know, as a team in the same way? Wouldn't you be using the same types of resources? Maybe they look a little different, but they're still the same resources. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and, and maybe that's the reason why I'm asking is because I think a lot of the same resources are applied between an, a face-to-face course using, say, the flipped model versus a fully online uh, course. You're just using them in, in, to different degrees. Um, so for me, the number one is always an instructional designer. Um, number two would be a media specialist or specialists depending on what is being developed and, and what needs to be done. And, you know, some courses, voiceover PowerPoints is all they need. Some maybe need to go in the field and shoot video to show some real life, real life scenarios. Um, there, there's, it depends a little bit on, on how many media specialists you need and, and, and multimedia producers. Maybe you need a graphic artist to create infographics and things for a course. Maybe you don't. Again, I think it just depends. Um, Maybe, you, again, I think a disability resource specialist is always important to ensure that your course is accessible to all students. I think it also might vary slightly depending on whether you're talking about a general studies course or if you're deep into a discipline-specific course or part of the program. Because, again, I'm really intrigued at the idea of having an embedded librarian as part of the team or something like that, particularly when you're getting into some advanced materials. By the way, that, that's not something you normally hear of when you consider a team approach. I mean, for me anyways, I don't, I've never considered a librarian as an essential component, but reflecting, I just said earlier how I had to talk to the librarian <laughs> for the school to bring them in as a resource. So that's actually quite a prescient point. Yeah, I mean, in any program that does anything that's evidence-based, so you think of evidence-based nursing, you think of of uh, physics, where you're going, anything that, that involves research, students need, I think, having access to a librarian and understanding and having a librarian who can teach library skills. I mean, we all know our ways of finding information through the library, and hopefully 
we can teach our students that Google and Google Scholar is, is a nice place to start, but that's the starting point. You really need to dig into the actual library services themselves. I'm glad you brought that up about not realizing that the library would be part of the team, mm -hmm. per se. Do you think that there has probably always been a collaborative team approach? We just didn't realize it because they weren't thinking about the necessarily the specialists from other areas, let's say disability resources or um, librarians or even instructional designers working with them are being considered as part of that team because it's not faculty to faculty? Yeah, that's the problem with tacit knowledge is that you know, you're not necessarily aware that you have it, but when it's made explicit, then you can start to really take advantage of it. And I think that's what you're seeing en masse. So you're, you're basically taking what you know, but you're bringing it from within and making it explicit, and then you can start to take advantage of it at that point. So now we're starting to realize, oh, I depend on all these people. And now that I know that, or I'm sort of consciously aware of that, I can start to make the most use of it. Whereas if it's remaining sort of tacit, then nothing becomes of it. I think 20, 25 years ago, no. It, even though you relied on the librarian for different things, you never thought of them as part of the team because, you know, you just knew that your journals come out at a certain time. You go there, you photocopy those journals, or the librarian photocopies it for you, and and that's that may be it. And then you teach based off whatever notes you had, you know, and maybe you draw on the overhead projector, um, and and that was as far as you got twenty twenty five years ago. You know, we didn't have the ability to create PowerPoint slide decks and everything else like we do today. We didn't have, you know, and then you'd have your department secretary print out the grade sheet and post it on the wall with the last four digits of the social security number for those of us who remember that from way back when. Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, so maybe the department secretary was involved more than more people realized, <laughs> yeah. but we don't even, but most departments don't even have that anymore. Mm -hmm. So a lot's changed. Well, one of the core components of my undergrad, or sorry, my graduate program with instructional design was my, the very first course it taught you. One of the first things was it's a systems approach. You have these specialists who work together to form a sort of a, a, a sum larger or a, a totality larger than the sum of its parts. Is that the right phrase? So maybe we're not talking about a team-based approach, but more of a systems approach. Isn't it similar though? I think it depends on how you phrase it. Oh, okay. Well, maybe. I like what you're saying, though. Keep saying it. <laughs> I might be off. No, I, okay. So you're talking about a team approach. This person does this. This person knows this. We have to work together to create uh, a product, some sort of outcome. Isn't the systems approach very similar? This person knows this. This person does this. They work together. Boom. You have a, a, an outcome, a product. I think a team implies that they're kind of all aware that they're at the table at the same time. Maybe not literally, but there's awareness that you're working together kind of at the same time towards common goals. So really what's been said has been that one of the main challenges is the ability to maintain the ownership, quote unquote, ownership of the instruction, right? Um, but the need for a collaborative team-based approach is there due to issues like consistency, um, keeping a student-centered ideal idea in mind when teaching. And I think as that student-centered learning 
approach is shifting. I think that's also bringing about the um, the need for the team-based approach in building the courses. Is that correct? Would you say that? I, I would go with that, and, and I would add on to the student-centered piece that I think it's a really good idea to have a, that's at least a second pair of eyes who thinks about the student, and we've talked about this a couple of different ways, but somebody who can take and advocate for the student when the course is being designed. I mean, we know where we put something in the course, but is it obvious to somebody else where it lives so that the student would find it just as easily? Well, I think this is a great conversation on team-based approach, and I, for one, think that we have a very awesome team here with our podcast. And I would like to thank Stephen Crawford, Jeanette Senecal, Aaron Kraft, and probably the most important of the group, he bites his glass and breaks it with his teeth, but his production skills are as fierce as a dragon. He's Ricardo Leon. You can re- <laughs> oh, man. Take that. Okay, outro. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is I B D as it. Oh, never mind. It's all automated. La 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 la. Erase, erase, erase. That's all. <laughs> Just end with the last. Yes. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Some say he flies north for the winter. (laughs) You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instruction by design at ASU.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.